0: Welcome to the Follow the Yogi podcast. I'm Vicki Santana, your host. Biological mom to one universal mom to many. I'm also a yoga teacher, a yoga practitioner, and I have the honor of teaching others to learn to teach yoga. I've been practicing for 35 years, teaching yoga for almost 15. In this podcast, I share with you either funny stories from being a yoga teacher, and I marry the profession of teaching yoga with the mastery of life. If you want to learn more about yoga, teaching yoga, and living life from a yogic perspective, stay tuned. I'm so happy you're here. Let's get started. How do you teach without being frustrated that students are not doing things quote-unquote right? And that's the question of the day. What I love about this question is... That it can be applied life wide. In fact, everything that we do as a yoga teacher is really a magnification of how we deal, lead our lives. So, however we think, whatever predispositions we have outside of the yoga room, we may be able to mask temporarily as a yoga teacher, but internally, it'll all rear its ugly head in some cases. And even though we're outwardly showing x let's say support understanding compassion if the question inside of ourselves is how do we teach without getting frustrated in regards to our students progress then there's still work to be done inside of ourselves in our lives so that we can bring it forth into the yoga room when we become yoga teachers we don't automatically change and adopt all of the different teachings when we become a yoga teacher, what we do is we bring into the yoga room as a teacher the very tools, the very mindsets, the very limitations, limiting belief systems, weaknesses, and vulnerabilities that we already have 30 seconds before we cross the threshold. To change those mindsets, to reduce the vulnerability and the ego and all that stuff, that comes from our own personal practice outside of the yoga room where we teach. And that's why it's so important to get even deeper into your own practice because it's the practice itself as an individual that changes our mindset and makes us a better teacher from a mindset perspective. I'm not even talking about the mechanics or cueing or anything like that because it all starts with our mindset. And from our mindset, our vibration is going to shine through and what we focus on and how we react what happens in the yoga room that is a direct reflection of our own personal practice and by react i don't mean what the outside world sees what i'm getting down to are the inner workings the things that we know that are happening inside of ourselves irrespective of whatever mask we put on so that people don't see what we're actually feeling on the inside so let's examine what our role actually is as a yoga teacher our role is to guide students, to impart wisdom, to share our experience with them. But we do this in such a way so as not to impose our belief systems, our lessons, and the way we do things in our own personal practice. And that can be very challenging because if it worked for us, then it should work for someone else. And if they can't see that it's going to work for them, then I need to help them see that it's going to work for them. And really, when we get to the point where we start thinking that there's one right way or a few right ways of doing any one thing or getting to a destination, we're no longer talking about the teachings of yoga. We're now talking about dogma. We're also talking about samskaras or these deep habitual Habits that we have deep down inside of us that we use to work this manifest world. So let's take even a step further. We're here to guide them, we're here to suggest, we're here to instruct. But most important to anything else, we're here to witness their journey. And that has a certain level of detachment towards it not lack of compassion, not lack of caring, not that we don't have skin in the game. Because we are very much part of the journey, but the journey isn't ours. So we provide information, guidance, be a cheerleader, but we do so in a detached way because we're truly only there to witness their journey. And what does that mean? I've said it twice now. So what does witnessing someone's journey mean if it doesn't mean changing their direction or their trajectory? It means presenting what you know best and allowing the practitioner, the student, to be able to take away from it what they need at their time, in their practice, wherever they are on their path. And that takes a considerable amount of emotional maturity on the teacher's part to not take anything personally. We cannot take their successes as personally because we didn't do it. They did it. And we can't take their departure from us personally either. Every relationship with teacher and student has a lifespan. Some are shorter than others. Some are longer than others. Some are for a lifetime. Some are just for a brief moment. But the student will take what they need from the teacher, depending on what is going on in their practice and where they are on their path. We give what we have in the hopes that it helps and we actually try to leave it there. If we misapply, if we don't stay in our own lane as a teacher, and we take responsibility for our students' successes in their practice, if we get so personally invested in their practice, we're no longer going to be an objective witness and teacher that'll Be able to see what they need from their practice. Instead, we're looking at it now through the eyes of our own ego. And some of the symptoms of that are if a student goes to another teacher and we feel a little slighted, a little jealous, a little confused, we've kind of crossed a boundary. And instead of offering and giving, information and guidance from an objective place we now have more of a possessive slant to what we're doing so now it's more self-serving they come they give us accolades we feel better about ourselves and at that point we're no longer just being the teacher and by just i'm not saying that it's less important i'm saying we're not staying in our own lane and providing the guidance that they need and allowing them to find their own way to some degree. Now we are attaching our own success to whether or not they come to us, to whether or not they achieve what we want them to achieve. And it's no longer all about the student. It now becomes more about us. And that's a very slippery slope because once we start putting our own ego in the success of our students, now we're riding a whole different roller coaster. Now, this is a really important point for all teachers. When we step into the yoga room to instruct, to guide, to help, to witness, our likes, our dislikes, our biases don't matter anymore. When we walk into that room, it has nothing to do with us anymore. It is all about the student's experience. And having that mindset is going to help us in a couple of ways as teachers. Number one, It's going to take some of that pressure of performing off of us, because if we're not thinking about our ego, if we're not thinking about our successes and our failures, we're going to be more comfortable providing service is one of the quickest ways to end suffering and focusing that service on the student instead of how am I going to look? How many people showed up? Did I miss my left from my right when we take the attention away from ourselves and put attention onto our students it takes that pressure off of us of performing and our ego is no longer going to be stroked or fed or put on alert and when it's put on alert it's so funny because when we think that we're performing and we're being watched and we're being judged and and all those different things we are not able to give as good of a class as we could have had we been thinking about what the needs of the students were instead of what what were our egoic needs and how do we kind of save face and make sure we don't make a mistake or make a fool out of ourselves. The list is endless, trust me. How do we get into this thinking of something is right, wrong, good, or bad? Well, we can take it all the way back to karma. And I'll just touch on it for just a moment so we all have a reference point. So karma basically means actions. All actions are one of three kinds. There's white actions, which are good or useful. Black actions, which are bad, not useful. And those that are mixed or shades of gray. Now, all of us have an instinctive sense of what is black, white, or mixed. The key is to create a discrimination between these three. And that comes from our higher intellect, our buddhi. Now, these actions, they leave deep impressions in the recesses of our mind. They later arise and cause further action in alignment with those impressions. So if we see something in the yoga room from a student, from ourselves, we're going to immediately make it either black, white, or gray. The art in teaching, though, is to discriminate on whether or not this is coming from us and being projected outward onto the student and by projecting, I mean something that won't serve them. So let's say we walk into the yoga room and there aren't as many people as there were there the last week. If we take that personally, if we see that as bad and if we see that as us doing poorly as a teacher, that impression is going to make its way out into our actions, into karma and it'll impact the class. Now, it had nothing to do with the students that are there and everything to do with what our impression is of ourselves as a qualified, good, successful, whatever the adjective is, yoga teacher. But now we've taken something that has registered in the past, some discrimination, some measurement that we use about ourselves, and without knowing... We're going to lay that vibration on top of the current class, thus kind of muddying the waters a little bit and possibly not giving those students in that room the best that we've got because now it's being filtered through we are less than. You might be thinking, well, that's all great, Vicky, but that's really challenging to do. How do I cultivate that skill of being able to witness from a detached fashion still being invested within my lane without being affected by my old script, my old narrative of good, bad, and gray. This is where your yoga practice as a yoga teacher is invaluable. We learn to become a witness to ourselves first so that we may lay witness for others. Now, what I mean by laying witness is witnessing the things that we do, the tasks that we do, the mindsets that we have, the emotions that we have, the reactions that we have, basically every single thing that we do, we witness it and we watch it as objectively as we possibly can. Now, the reason, one of the reasons our meditation practice is so important to do and to uphold is because that gives us the perfect environment to be that witness. You see, when we're looking at ourselves through this eye, this level of gross consciousness, we're looking at it through the exact same lens of whatever problem we're trying to solve. So maybe you've heard the phrase, you can't solve a problem with the same tools that you created it. You can't see the answer in the same field where the problem was created in. It's the same concept as that when we find ourselves in stillness, in quietude, we can actually access deeper recesses of the mind. And those deeper recesses are kind of immune to the ego, to the emotions, to the likes, the dislikes, the biases, the rationalizations, the justifications, the self servingness. So we actually get to see our actions, our reactions. Our opinions, our preconceived notions from a more detached place, not detached as in it doesn't belong to us, but detached in the way that we don't fuel it with all of this emotion that immediately wants to defend us and, you know, justify what we're doing and thinking, we all want to be right, and we all want to be doing the right thing. The problem is is that when we're looking at it through this level of consciousness, what's quote unquote "right is actually being seen through the ego, which is drawing past solutions to past traumas, and many of those were created in a state of alertness, in a state of fear, in a state of self-defense. So what might have hap- uh, what might have helped us? In the past, because we were in kind of like a quasi survival mode, what helped us in the past may not suit us for this moment because the same quote unquote dangers aren't present. It's just a similar situation, but not exactly the same. So we witness ourselves and we become very skilled at separating what actually is. Versus what actually was. And then we discern from our higher intellect, from our booty, B U D D H I. We discern instead of react to what the better course of action is for our higher self. And once we become skilled at being able to parent ourselves from our higher self instead of all of the wonderful emotions and reactions and the roller coaster and the ah. Once we're able to parent ourselves from our higher intellect, then we can help. We can teach from that place also, but it's not until we ourselves are able to do it for ourselves, to ourselves, that we can do it for others. Now, I made a comment before that the way we teach is magnified based on who we are when we walk into that yoga room. This same mindset can be applied to everything that has to do in our teaching career. How we feel about a yogic practice. Is this more authentic than, say, another style of yoga? Is this teacher teaching it the quote-unquote right way? Is the way we're doing something better than someone else's? And although using outside forces to measure is a valid way of kind of tracking our progress, when we take it In the arena of right, wrong, good, or bad, we're kind of pitting ourselves against the outside world, and if we're right or better, then someone else has to lose. Someone else has to be less than, someone else has to be inferior, and the ego has just created this rivalry where one possibly never even existed. And even if it did exist, it only matters that it exists now inside of you. So here's my secret of what I do before I go teach. In fact, I use this before I have any kind of interaction with another person because it's important. I want to get myself to the place, to my higher intellect, to something above the chaos, the noise, the competition, the ego, the fear, the anxiousness, the aversion, the attachment. And I want to call upon something higher than myself to be able to take care of this next interaction. Now, I use this before texting. I use this before having a phone conversation. I use this really any time that I'm going to be engaging with other people. So I find a quiet place Usually I sit in my car for a moment or two before I even get inside of the studio or before I go online to go teach. And I dial into my breath. Belly breathing super important. And I cultivate a nice slow, even breath where the inhale and the exhale are even with each other. And then I look at the space, my heart space. And I literally call upon My spirit and touch base with that. Some people hear things, some people see things. I tend to feel the presence of source of spirit. There's no wrong answer here. However, you experience it is going to be what's valid for you. So I call upon my spirit. And then I also call upon the spirits of the individuals that are going to be in the class. I don't know who they are because I haven't entered the studio just yet. But I call upon them, and then I call upon my guides and their guides. These are spiritual assists, their spiritual team, my spiritual team. And then I contact or I call upon the source. And I sit in that vibration for a little while, a couple of seconds. And then I ask for these higher selves to actually be responsible. Whatever's going to happen in the next interaction that I'm going to have. And what this does is bring about these ribbons of grace to actually take over and do what is best for everyone's higher good. It moves me away, moves all of us away from the low vibrating, ego driven self-serving mindset that causes the suffering. So I literally give this situation that I'm about to go into to something bigger than myself. I do the same on behalf of the others that are going to be there. And of course, I call upon the highest of source and give them the right to work this situation out for the best of all involved. So let's recap a little bit because we went through a lot of information in a short amount of time. The first thing is when we teach, we want to get ourselves into a mindset of providing service instead of dogma. This will help us get out of this right, wrong, gray area kind of thinking. Surrender the class to the students. When you walk in, It's all about them. It's all about their experience. To achieve this, have the mindset of being a witness and start cultivating the ability to witness others by witnessing ourselves. Start the process of self parenting ourselves from our higher self to be able to witness ourselves. And take a moment to surrender whatever you're going to be endeavoring in to something bigger than yourself, invite your guides, invite the spirits of the others that are going to be involved in this, and give the solution to something bigger than yourself. The Bhagavad Gita tells us that we're responsible for our tasks, but the results, the fruits of that labor, we give that to something bigger than ourselves because that thing that's bigger than ourselves has the best intentions for all involved not just the one. If you're looking at deepening your practice, our new teacher training program starts online February 5th at vickysantana.com, v-a-k-k-y-santana.com. Join us, even if you don't want to teach. Deepening your own personal practice makes all the difference in the world. Until next time, everyone, stay dope.